Welcome back to the TV podcast coverage of Game of Thrones. It's time for season five. So many other TV shows have taken up uh, root here at the TV podcast, but I'll just point out that I think we started it all. Monty Ashley is out there with me. Hello, Monty. Hello, Jason. We're back. We are back. Who needs these other shows with your Time Lords and your Arrows and your and sometimes there are arrows on flashes and flashes on arrows which is just cheating those shows are confusing because they have one main character that you focus on for most of the time that's too too simple yeah they have one guy and you know what he wants yeah Uh, not like game of thrones where there's a million characters and they're and they're all all their motives are inscrutable yes (laughs) that's how we like it so uh so we're back. It's uh, it's uh, the war is to come. I didn't understand this title at all. The, I can't. This title, this title is mentioned twice in dialogue, which I, oh. I thought was. I, I I had one of those moments of like, <gasps> he said the title. Yeah, yeah. There's two. The war is the war to come, or the war is to come happens twice. Um, right. uh, it happens when Mance Raider is talking about uh, how he won't bend the knee, and I think Varys oh. also talks about it with Tyrion. Oh my god, you're right. The last note I have is me writing down, I did like him saying, quote, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Mm, see? Hmm. And then the first thing I wrote down was, the wars to come. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's bookended right there. It all makes sense now. Amazing. Well, let, so let's start at the beginning, uh, and then and maybe we'll talk about the, the King's Landing stuff. So, so we start with a flashback, which this is, the, is their first. Yeah, it's their very first flashback. Yeah, because usually they just have monologuing. <laughs> Let me tell you a story of when I was a child. And, I, and no, they actually showed C- young Circe and her friend going, which is in the books, going to the the uh, the uh, soothsayer or whatever, the witch who's going to tell her her, her future, her horrible, horrible future. <laughs> and, of course, now we have some understanding of why Circe is such a jerk. It's because she was warned yeah. that... Specifically about Marjorie, right? You'll be a queen for a time, and then a younger, prettier queen will come along and ruin everything for you. <laughs> and she was warned that her husband would cheat on her. Yeah. And, yeah, and, th- and that her kids would die. Of course, is it possible that by being told her children would be have golden crowns, she specifically decided to sleep with Jamie so that she could guarantee blonde children? Ooh, that's a good one. I was thinking all along, like, what are the uh, ramifications of of having a, a a true a true fortune teller? Does she collapse all the probabilities at that moment to the the one only, or is there only one possible future at that point? Or does in telling somebody what their future is going to be, suddenly they will then be on a path to make it happen? These are the questions I I was wondering about. Well, I think this is uh, valuable information because now we know that this is a world where. When there are prophecies, there's at least a chance they'll be accurate. Right. And, of course, there are other prophecies at play in Game of Thrones. Although, on the show, they're mostly rushed past and you can't remember any of them. Yeah, I think I think the producers have been reluctant to talk at prophecies. And I understand why. I mean, there's so many stories that are like, oh, you were the, you were the promised one. You, it has been foretold. And it, I think it can be an enemy to drama. So I can understand. But in this case, it's so 
um, it's it's so perfect because we're, you know, it, it's not a prophecy. It's a prophecy of in the past that has come true for the most part. And it lets you understand maybe a little bit more about why Cersei behaves the way she does. It's also possible she's just a jerk. I mean, yeah. she's a jerk before she hears that prophecy. It totally is. She, she, her little friend does not want to be there. I think in the book, too, the little friend gets her fortune told, and it's like, oh, you're about to die. And then she dies on the way back to the <laughs> castle or something. As I recall, it's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Well, I was reading online that one part of the prophecies in this scene were actually omitted. That hmm. in the book, Cersei is also warned that Tyrion will kill her. Ah, which is supposed to justify her distrust of Tyrion. Well, Presumably they decided on the show, Tyrion has done enough yeah, yeah. to be mistrusted by leave, Cersei. Leave Tyrion alone. <laughs> <laughs> enough. That, that guy, that guy, we'll get to, we'll get to what he's been going through. Um, I, so I, I thought the flashback was interesting because, because it does, again, it doesn't excuse Cersei's behavior, but maybe it explains it a little bit, especially yeah. her paranoia about Marjorie, which is totally valid, I think. But uh, I, I loved that little bit that, you know, you know, she's coming and she's going to ruin everything. And then, there, oh, there she is. No wonder yeah. she doesn't like her. Um, I'm, not sh- I'm yeah. just not sure it was necessary because even before that, it was clear that Cersei did not like the way Marjorie was swooping in. Sure. Had started to take Joffrey under her wing. Put the moves on her little boy, yeah. Was happy to move on to Tommen, who's luckily completely devoid of personality, so he's easy pickings for someone mm-hmm. like Marjorie. Marjorie will marry anybody if they're in line to be king. That's yes. the, that's her thing. Which, interestingly, is where Sansa was at the beginning of the series, except Marjorie's much more proactive about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that so there's a scene later... Uh, that will that that uh, we can come back to, but there's a there's a the a moment later where I was impressed with uh, with Marjorie's uh, uh, strategy, but we'll, we'll we'll get there. We should go next to Tywin's funeral, uh, which begins <laughs> with a uh, with a guy saying to Cersei, basically, people have come a long way to see your dead father, and she's like, yeah, I'm just going to go in and talk to him by myself first, so you can just wait right here. And, of course, I, the audience is terrified because the last time that Cersei and Jamie were alone next to a corpse. Mm, that's right. They got busy. There was one of the most inappropriate sex scenes this show has had. Yeah, that's <laughs> Top true. Top five, easily. And that's saying something for yeah. this show. Yeah, but this time they're, they're, uh, she's really mad at him because he freed Tyrion, which led to the... Uh, led to the, the murder of their father by Tyrion. And I like how Jamie. Jamie's really uh he kind of doesn't react like he's not going to he's not going to admit to it even though she knows that he did it. <laughs> he's not going to ask for forgiveness. I thought for a minute he was going to say, well, you know, to be fair, he had it coming, right? But yeah. nope, he just doesn't say anything and he's just like he's just going to let her beat him up a little bit. And in a way, she blames him more than Tyrion. Yeah. She because, says, she yeah. says he's a monster, but you, you let this happen. Yeah. Tyrion at least intended to kill our father. Yeah. You, you're just fumbling around like an idiot with some idea of whatever, morality or something. I like how she called him a man of action. Like you're a man yeah. of action. You just do stuff. And then the rest of us have to figure out how to put it back together. Cause that, that's definitely how she sees their relationship is, is Jamie does stuff because he's just like a guy who reacts to situations where he makes judgments about what's right. Right. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, I don't do that. I just scheme. That's what I do. <laughs> you're not, you're not a schemer. You ingrate. That's basically, Basically, her conversation with her brother here. 
But although they are at odds, they also agree that something must be done because they are in danger of losing their whole kingdom. And of course, they think of Westeros as their kingdom, not Casterly Rock and its uh, lands. Right, right. Because at this point, Tommen, although it's hard to think of him as this way, he's Tommen Baratheon, not Tommen Lannister. And he's about to marry Marjorie Tyrell and come completely under the sway of him, of her, sorry. Yeah. And we're, we're reminded later on that Cersei is supposed to marry Loras Tyrell and go off to Highgarden. Yeah, and, and the House Lannister, which is obviously the thing that they are most proud of. They're Lannisters first and foremost, even though she is a Baratheon and the kids are ostensibly Baratheons. Um, the Now with Tywin dead and, uh, and Tyrion fled and Jaime and the Kingsguard and, um, and, uh, and Cersei uh, betrothed to uh, Loras, we're in the situation where you're looking at the complete breakup and destruction of the Lannisters, essentially, which is well, disastrous. The core Lannisters. Yeah, There's yeah. cousins, but who cares about right, them? Right, but all. I think they lose control of Casterly Rock, right, essentially at some point. Um, I we, think so. Which is, it was spo- Tyrion claimed it was supposed to be his, and I'm willing to take his word for it. Sure. It can't go to Jaime because he's in the Kingsguard. It seems like they're mostly patrilineal, so it's not going to go to Cersei. But it, maybe it goes to her husband, and he can have big, uh, big uh, dance parties. Because <laughs> we get to that, we get to that in a little bit too. Um, I, 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 I really appreciated that scene. But first, let's see. Um, What's what's our next uh, what's our next King's Landing? Oh, it, it's um oh Cersei uh, runs into uh, Lancel, her cousin, who she had a dalliance <laughs> with because and I was going to say you know despite the incest taboo, but she doesn't have a problem with that. So you know cousin, it's kind of like a brother. It's a little bit further away, but still it's okay for Cersei. Um, yeah, but he's cut his hair now and he doesn't. Well, he's all, all. He, he joined a religious order. He's a sparrow now, and he wears like a burlap sack for his clothing. Yeah. It's not and very not a good look. Gotten morality because he's starting to talk unsettlingly openly about things like drugging the wine that Robert Baratheon had before his boar hunt. Yeah, I don't think Cersei's going to be allowing that. No, loose lips sink ships, my friend, and you. You yeah, don't don't ixnay on the inke illing way, yeah. right? Yeah. Lentil's role was to stand around, look pretty, remind her of Jamie, mm-hmm. and sleep with her. Yeah, and then go away and be uh, not, you know, just not be inconvenient. And he's ruining it now with his burlap sack and his haircut. Um, all, we so we do see we we do see the Knight of Flowers. It's good to see him back, Loras Tyrell. Uh, yes. He has a birthmark shaped like Dorn. Does that mean he's? Normally, that should mean he's, like, fated to be king of Dorne, right? <laughs> In a know. fantasy story, somebody with a significant birthmark is almost always fated to be king. Well, I think I think they may, you know, we know there's some more Dornish stuff coming this season, so there may actually be some connection there. I'm not sure whether he's fated to rule it or fated to go there or, or something like that. I was just, you know... Dor- and Doran is an interesting shape too. There's a lot of phallic things happening in this yeah. scene, is all I'm saying. But uh, that was uh, I, I was amused by the that they're uh, looking at his birthmark. He and he and his uh, his uh, his boyfriend. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, Marjorie bursts in and says, "You know, you're you're keeping 
you're keeping him waiting, which is keeping the king waiting. And he's like, all right, I'll get yeah. up. And, and this was a scene where it shows, I think they're trying to balance out the nudity on this show. Yeah, I think so. Because we get, we get some other male nudity in this episode, too. Yeah. There were boobs first. Yeah. Well, it's classic. It's, yeah. It's a Game of Thrones tradition, really. True. You can't turn your back entirely. But uh, but yeah, with a lot a lot of male a lot of male nudity and, and we got double male nudity in this scene, so that's 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 fine, fair enough. Uh, Loris wants to know why he has to keep his homosexuality a secret. I like which, that a lot. He's like everybody yeah. knows everything here. What does it matter? <laughs> this is dumb. Everybody already <laughs> says things about me. I should at least get to have sex with hot guys who are all over the place. I appreciated that. Um, Marjorie watches his uh, boyfriend walk out. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything. And I think maybe a lesser show, she would be like, well, you know, I see what you see in him or something. She just watches him go and then turns back. And you can tell that she's admiring him. And oh, yeah. she's like, good one. <laughs> but she doesn't say anything. But she's like, yeah, okay. I, I well, get it. Natalie Dormer has a particular smile that I think conveys <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, or I, that girl not bad. She's I, done that a few times on this show as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, I think she's, I think she's great. Um, but that, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And then, and then they have this conversation that I mentioned earlier, which I really love, which is the they're they're talking about some of the details. It's like, oh, you, you're going to marry Cersei, and he's like, ah, but her, her, he says, but her dad is dead now, so I might not need to do that. And if that's the case, then she's going to be here, and you guys are going to be stuck with each other, and she's going to be your mother-in-law, and she's going to be over your shoulder all the time. And I love that Marjorie's response to that is, perhaps. And that's when I wrote down, now that is playing the Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that scene. I liked I liked that I enjoyed it while at the same time thinking this was a required scene to remind everybody of like all the de- like what yeah. are all the deals and stuff. I know, I know, and yet and yet I, I like th- there are so many things in this episode that I wrote down as like this is really good. Like they did a really good job. And this is one of those where where this show is called Game of Thrones and there are lots of things, there are wars and there are mishaps that people get into and people are wandering on the countryside, but at its core it is about this battle to see who is going to rule this part of the world. And and there are different ways you can play the Game of Thrones, and Marjorie's way is the quiet way, but she is playing it hard. And this is the part where where you see it. Like, she has got a plan. She is always working the angles. And so, you know, when she says perhaps, that is that is powerful because that is somebody who is playing the game yeah. and playing it well. Well, in the scene right before this, which was mostly from Cersei's point of view, this that's the scene where... She ignores Loris and ignores the maester and talks to Lancel. Yeah. While Loris is babbling, she's watching Marjorie work on Tommen. Yeah. And we don't we don't hear any of the things Marjorie's saying to Tommen. But you can feel Cersei's worry that Marjorie's getting her hooks in this kid really quickly. And we've got that flashback stuck in our minds, yeah. right? And she, yeah, I love how Marjorie walks away from him and she's like holding his hand a little bit and sort of like yep. lets it drop. It's like, oh man. And yeah, you, you see it from Cersei's perspective, which like she's putting the moves on this kid who's kind of a nobody, a nothing, uh, you know, he's a zero, and but he's the king and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, like a 13 year old boy or whatever. And uh, she's got him under her spell. 
Yeah, and this is where the show, I think, uh, really adds depth to the books. Not that, you know, 5,000-page books or whatever <laughs> need the depth, but in the book, you only get the Cersei scene. But on the show, we then get a scene with the Tyrells where Marjorie doesn't have the mask up anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that. I like seeing Marjorie as this expert uh, expert game player. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's really good. Um is that it for King's Landing? I think that's it for King's Landing. I believe it is. All right, let's uh let's back up then and and go to uh, go to uh Tyrion. Yes. How about that Tyrion? Tyrion's been living in a box for a while. In a way, don't we all live in boxes? <laughs> yes, but most of them are not uh, like uh, three feet by four feet and with air holes punched True. in them. Not just air holes, also poop holes. Also poop holes. I, I imagine all holes. I imagine that yeah. food was, you know, pushed in and poop is pushed out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was, I like that, that uh, he gets uncrated. We see it, we see like his journey a little bit from the the inside the box and then he gets uncreated and he just kind of rolls out and he's like trying to stretch and again there's that thought of like I know I'm not very big but that is a really small box. Yeah. Yeah. And then apparently Varys is an idealist. Yeah, so this is another one like I said about Marjorie playing the Game of Thrones. I love you know, Varys suddenly is like, well, this is why I'm doing all of this. And it's like, let me explain to you. I am a patriot. I I uh, you know, I have been in put in this position where I can manipulate what goes on in the centers of power. And, you know, basically he's saying, look, the Baratheons and the Lannisters are disasters and that we need to, <laughs> we need to get, and I'll grant you that the Targaryens, you know, didn't end well because there was a mad King and all that, but like <laughs> they are much more my kind of people. Like they can get this thing put back together and that like everything he's been doing and conspiring has been to get, a uh, a Targaryen back in Westeros, which is like I love that he's he's like a patriot, like he's got this plan, but he's got also this belief in you know in in saving his country essentially. Well, it's a good thing for him that Khal Drogo killed Viserys then, yeah, because that kid would not have made a good king. No, he he would have he was like uh, like the mad like the mad king, but. Daenerys, that is, uh, also, I really liked the, um, the line. There's the, uh, Varys says, I'm, aren't you concerned about the future? And Tyrion says, the future is shit. (laughs) The past is shit. Yeah. He's like, he is not in a good place. (laughs) So they look like they're in a pretty cool area, a very relaxed garden sort of place with lots of wine. Yeah. And this is Illyrio's place. So this is actually where we first saw, uh, uh, what Daenerys and Viserys, right? Yeah. Although we don't see Illyrio here, he's off, you know, doing something. Yeah, he's got very important matters yeah. to attend right. to, or something. We couldn't find the actor. So, after what I think was a very short break, they're going to go off to Marine and actually meet Daenerys, and we're going to have a crossover with storylines. Yeah. Here in season whatever we are season five, five. Six, five. season five finally yeah no this is the, th- there are so many things in this that excited me in this episode um, so Marjorie playing the Game of Thrones uh, Varys being a patriot who's got a plan the, the that that this is all like who he says in the second scene that they've got um, you know whoever said he right it's like yeah. he you know I'm gonna we're gonna go get to uh, to Daenerys and talk to her I really liked. Um, 
another another little part that I really liked is when Varys says to Tyrion, I love Varys' pep talk to Tyrion too, because Tyrion, <laughs> Tyrion is always down on himself, and the moments when he's allowed to think positively, like at the Blackwater, he's immediately knocked down. And Varys, Varys says, you know, I think you're great. And he says, well, I'm not going to be the king. And he's like, well, no, of course you're not going to be the king, but I think you're great and you could really help me out here. And the line that I really liked is, some people are born into power um, and and take it on, but earning it yourself, that takes work. And I really like that because he's. this is like the the ultimate Tyrion pep talk, which is stop thinking about yourself as the sad sack and stop thinking of yourself as a privileged Lannister. You are smart. You can make this work. And that's, you know, that's sort of Varys' story. Like, like I said about Marjorie earlier, it's like, you, you got to play the game of Thrones. You got to work at it if you're going to do it. And this, I like that as a pep talk. Like he's t- saying to Tyrion, you can play this game, but you got to, you got to snap out of it. You got to stop drinking. You got to, you got to get your act together. And I, I really like that. And I, I liked his comeback um, where where he says, uh, um, you you know, you can either drink yourself to death here, or you can come with me to Marine. And he says, can I drink myself to death on the way to Marine? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. All right. Very well, Tyrion. You can do that. And I also like, there's another great line in there, which is about the powerful always preying on the powerless, which is totally, I mean, that's what we see in the show all the time. So I thought that was a fantastic scene, that, that back and forth between Varys and, and uh, Tyrion. I thought it was great. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I would be happy to spend normally I'm very impatient with the storylines on this show mm-hmm. and in the books. I want people to get on with it. I feel like Daenerys could maybe learn to be a ruler faster than this <laughs> yeah. and come over to Westeros and do something. Having said that, if the entire season every episode just has a couple episodes has a couple of scenes of Tyrion and Varys in kind of a buddy road movie yeah. thing on Hitch- the way to Marine. Hitchhiking on their way to Marine, yeah. Like, straight out of Hope and Crosby, I'd love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was really great. I mean, I've always liked Varys as a character. I, I, I think in the books he's more of a cipher, but in the show, the actor playing him, I, I just, I really like how, how he's portrayed. And so to have them now, like, because Varys has sprung the coop too, right? I mean, he's he's gone. He's given up all of his things. He's like, okay, I got to put this plan into motion now. So he's transforming too by saying, okay, I got to be out in the open and make this, make all my little plan work. And uh, that's a great combination with Tyrion, who now he has to give a pep talk to. Like, he needs Tyrion to be to get his act together when before he was like yeah you know whatever now he's like no 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 i need you on my side here it's really yeah i'm looking forward to to more of that that's a lot of fun makes me wonder who's running things in king's landing because Littlefinger's not there tywin's dead and Varys isn't there so i guess it's the uh i guess it's the 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 meister then old old meister that's gonna go that's gonna go great yeah that's not not a good not a good sign um meanwhile in marine uh unsullied are going to uh the the uh um prostitutes for cuddling i guess um i think they they were taken away from their mothers as children, so right. my interpretation is you know they just want some motherly affection, yeah, and then unfortunately for white rat. He is, uh, his throat is slit by the sons of the harpy who wear cool, creepy gold masks. Apparently they didn't like it when that big harpy got knocked down off the pyramid. No, they're, they're, they're mad about it. I wonder if that's going to be reflected in the map in the opening credits. I, I thought that too, because that's such a prominent thing. I assume it will be. I assume that it'll be, that, that the harpy will be gone next time and that will be funny. 
Um, the uh, let's see what else. What else do we see? We we get uh, Daenerys. Uh, wants to outlaw the slave pits, the fighting pits. Yes, she's she's not good at negotiation at this point. No, she's very angry at the city she's ruling. So she has white rat buried with honors in their temple, mm-hmm. and she's not allowing the fighting pits, even though the people who used to be in there are begging her for their reinstation, reins, reinstatement. Reinstatement, thank you. And and her boyfriend says, no, you should open the fighting pits. Like, everybody is telling her she should open the fighting pits. And and I like how they make the argument like, no, these won't be slaves in the fighting pits. These will be free people who choose to go in the fighting pits. But you gotta let, it's like it's part of our culture. And she says, it's, you know, cockfighting with people. I don't like that. But he says, no, no, it's part of our culture. And I was in the pits. <laughs> yeah. And I was a champion at it. So I love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many people did you kill while you are yeah. in there, Dario? Dozens. Like, I'm kind of on her side. He says, yeah. you have to show that you respect their traditions well you don't have to respect every tradition some traditions are especially in this world horrifying and really bad yeah but this is one this is one of the challenges is she's got her idealism and then she's got like what can she do to retain power and not have everybody turn against her and does she have to compromise on her ideals to do that which is you know that's that is Daenerys' story i feel like you said there's some sameness about it it's like i feel like Daenerys keeps learning this lesson (laughs) over over and over again it's like gosh it's hard to rule you want to be idealistic but it turns out you've got to make compromises but then you're compromised and that's no good and then hopefully you've got a dragon to uh, set somebody on fire. Speaking of which, <laughs> she goes to visit her dragons who she chained, chained up in the dark, and it turns out that they don't like that. Yeah, weird. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering, does she have access to old Targaryen dragon training books or something? She needs to rent how to train your dragon. Exactly. Like, she's basically bluffing, and she's got three dragons to try to control. That's yeah. That's not easy, even if you're not trying to rule cities you've just taken over with an army of eunuchs. Yeah, I mean, just feeding them when they're little is not may- maybe enough to... Uh, maybe dragons can't be trained, I don't know. But you would think... You would think she would put some effort into it since that's her largest asset. Yeah. And now and now it's interesting she puts her in an interesting position, right? Because one of the things that makes people impressed with her, like like uh, Dario says, is, uh, you know, the mother of dragons without dragons is is nothing. Or the dragon queen without dragons is not a queen, I think is what he says. Yeah. And, of course, as we learned uh, before, a dragon is not a slave, which is something she says right before she says Dracaris and burns that jerk. Right. But... but yeah, more- you can't just keep your dragons locked away, even if it does save a lot on CGI. Yeah, more dragons, more problems. Got a lot of problems, Dra- dragon problems, and, yeah. and the other dragon, of course, is just roaming around eating people and burning things, presumably. Yeah, one of my problems with this show is that the dragons are supposed to be like there a lot, but you see them very rarely. Right. It's just like, and this is a great segue here. John Snow's wolf, mm. who's supposed to always be jo- by John Snow's side. We see him and, in one shot. Yeah, we see him in the establishing shot to say, yeah, Ghost is still here. Yep. But that's it. That's it, because it's too expensive to do a giant dire wolf or a dragon. Yes. In CGI. All right, so at the wall, good tr- good transition there. Uh-huh. Good setup. Well done. Uh, it's like it's like it's like riding a bike. You just get right back on. <laughs> um, uh, so at the wall, uh, first off, we have we have Sam and Gilly. Yeah, and Gilly is basically saying this isn't going to go well, and they're going to get rid of all of us, and they're going to get rid of me and the baby. And Sam's like, "Look, look, I'll take care of it. 
you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave you. And, uh, I like how Sam observes, you know, I'm really awesome. I, I, I've killed all sorts of things as an incompetent fighter. I still have managed to kill things, which I thought, I thought was funny. I thought it was funny, but Sam and Gilly really don't have much to do at this point. No, no. I mean, I feel like that scene was there to say, Hey, it's Sam and Gilly. Remember them? All right. (laughs) Yeah. Because the wall has... It had a narrative purpose. There's an army massing beyond the wall. They're coming. What's going to happen? Well, we know what's going to happen now. Stannis is going to come in and save everybody. Yep. So now, until there's a giant White Walker attack, I feel like the wall, the people at the wall anyway, they're just hanging out training. Right. Which we see. Yeah. But meanwhile, though, John rides his little elevator up to the top <laughs> of the uh, of the wall and talks to Melisander and to to Stannis. And to the and to the Onion Knight too. He's up there too, yeah. surveying the uh, the world beyond the wall. And Stannis tells John, "Oh, first off, Melisandre in the elevator ride is super creepy and asks <laughs> if he's a virgin, and he says no, and she says good. And then she lets him touch her skin to show that she's always warm. Yeah, we're all always warm. We're mammals. Yeah, yeah. she's extra awesome, and yeah, I don't know. That's part of her charm, is that uh, she she shows." guys her skin temperature uh stannis <laughs> stannis says mance raiders gotta bend the knee to me and i'll give them you know i'll give them essentially citizenship in the in in westeros if they uh if they if they serve me and help me attack uh, uh, uh the boltons at winterfell yeah although do we care about winterfell at this point I don't know. It's on the map in the opening, not not on fire anymore. So I guess I mean I guess you know we started with the Starks at Winterfell. It would be nice if they if they took it back from the Boltons. The Boltons are really bad. They've got you know the the, the one who killed Rob and then his bastard son is a torturer and uh, you know I guess. But it is you're right. It's been a long time and there's kind of almost nobody left from the Starks at this point that's anywhere like, near there. Like this feels a little to me like my problem with Daenerys. Stannis, what are you doing up in the north? You you could take all of the north. I think he's getting that he he's getting that army. He went he wants the he wants the Wilding army, and he maybe wants the support of the Night's Watch, which John is like, nope, can't do it. Yeah, um, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I I do like so so uh, John goes and talks to Mance Raider, and I think that's an interesting scene uh, where John John is making great points again we've got kind of ideology versus pragmatism that happens repeatedly in this episode in the show in general but in this episode where john is saying look this is a great deal essentially you know you guys fight for stannis he's uh better than the other choices for king um he uh he's gonna give you he doesn't say this in the scene but it's like he's gonna give you land we know what the deal is you get you get to you're all gonna die the white walkers are gonna kill you all and you know it and um and that's all perfectly reasonable. It's like your your death is not going to matter. You just bend the knee to Stannis and and make a deal with him. And what I think is really interesting, and the last thing, one of the last things Mance says to John is, "The freedom to make my own mistakes is all I ever wanted." And I think that's really interesting. That although John is totally right pragmatically, what Mance is saying is the whole point of who we are as the free people is that we do not want to serve a king. So, us serving a king just to get like land 
is it's like beside the point that's not why we're here we're we're here to not serve a king and i really kind of appreciate what he's saying because it's like well you know we're gonna burn you alive if you if you stick to your principles he's like yeah that's too bad i like how he says it's a bad way to go but but that is that is the whole premise of the free people the free folk is is we don't want to serve a king and i feel like that is a sort of of patriotism, a political statement. It's their their belief in personal liberty, essentially, that struck me. It's a very different view than somebody like Varys has, which is we got to get a good king or queen. But it's the same idea that these are people with these kind of core principles that they're standing up for. And you got to you kind of got to admire, I think, Mance, even though it means, you know, bad things for his people, probably, and really bad things for him, because he's right. Fundamentally, that's being free is what they're all about. And bending a knee to a king completely betrays that. Yeah. And in fact, even though Mance is originally from the Night's Watch and therefore from below the wall to begin with. At this point, he describes Stannis' campaign as some foreigner's war. Yeah. Like, that's how uninvested they all are in all of the Game of Thrones nonsense. Right. They're, they're, they're above it, essentially, because they don't care. They don't believe that kings, they don't want to be ruled by kings, period. So the, all, this, all this, you know, you, you're fighting these people over here, and they just don't care. Which is which is interesting, and actually, if you look at the overarching story of of this from the very first scene with the with the White Walkers with the blue eyes, right? Um, you know, Mance Raider and the and and the Night's Watch, they're the ones who know what's going, what's really going on here, which is that there's a much more important battle coming that isn't this playing around with the Game of Thrones and rearranging the deck chairs before the invasion of the supernatural creatures from the far north, right? Um, when winter finally comes. Right, which which it is, and yet they're, st- they're all still squabbling like this. And so, you know, that's absolutely right, that, that uh, you know, they don't care about these these foreign wars of foreigners and southern kings and things like that it's just it doesn't matter to them at all yeah and so when he gets told kneel and live he just stands there and says well i remember this place and like we said good luck in all those wars to come which i think was a really good line because he's not angry at stannis he understands that he's going to be burnt he understands there's something stannis has to do and stannis seems to appreciate that he gives a sort of nod that well, thank you for that. And now uh, here's the results of all our decisions. We're going to burn you to death. Yeah, except Jon Snow can't bear to watch it anymore and thinks Mance deserves a better death. And so shoots him in the chest with an arrow, which kills him not quite instantaneously so that <laughs> Mance can look at John and appreciate that he's dying before he's completely burned. And then he dies. I'm going to assume that was Egret's bow and arrow. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. And, and you know, that's interesting because that's going to put John at odds with... Uh, I like how they say, you know, some of your men really love you and some of them hate you. Because we've seen that with, with the guy who's running for the Night's Watch, who's that awful guy. That, that, yeah, that <laughs> the guy that I think looks sort of like Matt Besser. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's no good, that guy. I yeah. like that guy. Now, I have not read much of the book that we are into at this point, Mm. nor have I seen any future episodes. But it seems to me that by taking mercy on Mance like this, it is possible that the wildlings will now consider Jon Snow sort of their leader Mm. and do what he says. Yeah, I, I I had that thought that, like, 
is it is it that they can't serve Stannis, or is it that Mance couldn't bend the knee because he had fashioned himself the leader of this ideology of the free folk, and that somebody else could come in and be much more pragmatic? Yeah. Like, maybe they could say, well, now that we don't have Mance, we don't know what to do with ourselves. This man you have working for yourself, for you guys, this Jon Snow, we like the cut of his jib. Yeah. We will let him suggest things for us to do. And he can be your liaison with us, and we'll uh, work out what we're going to do. Yeah. That could that could be. And that might be an interesting position for Jon, where even though he's angered, perhaps, Stannis and his people by... Uh, not allowing uh, Mance to burn to death, but he, you know, he ends up being in a position of of uh, importance. That you know, he's somebody who they'll listen to, and so that they got to keep him around. It's uh, that, uh, that's interesting. And again, um, like with uh, Tyrion and Varys going to find Daenerys, we've got um, we've got this interesting interaction of characters who previously didn't interact. And isn't that nice when? When different storylines intersect and suddenly we have the whole wall part and the whole Stannis part together. It That's is, interesting. Although I wish there was more Onion Knight in these scenes. I, I was disappointed as, that he's just looking grumpy on the edge of the wall. <laughs> yeah, because Stannis is an important character, but he is a snooze. Yeah, yeah. And Onion Knight is the one who's... Yeah, it's it's the push and pull between Melisandre and the Onion Knight that are, are really the most interesting things. Stannis yeah. is just sort of just a very serious, you know, kind of guy. And or, he's fine for as a making pronouncements, but when he's just kind of um, pondering what to do, he is super boring. Yeah, I like... Uh, the scenes between the Onion Knight and Salvador San, the colorful pirate. Those oh, yeah. were my, the best parts. Those are the best. Yeah. Uh, the Onion Knight's actually one of my favorite characters from the books, too. And and I think that they portrayed him pretty well at times. But yeah, in this in this episode, we get a Melisandre scene. But the, the Onion Knight is really just kind of hanging on in the background there, looking. He scowls at yes. John, And that's about all we get from him this time. But maybe next time, there'll be more. So overall, what do you think of this one? Um... Well, as usual, it seemed there was a lot of resetting the scene, which yeah. I appreciate because I don't have time to rewatch the entire series nope. every year to remind myself yeah. where we are. Yep, exactly. But th- I like where things are going. Things have definitely switched up from where we were last season. Uh, obviously, with important people like Tywin dead, it's not immediately obvious where all the stories are going to go. But it's clear that the stories are going to go somewhere. Yeah, things things are not in the the status quo of last season. Things are, things are all people are moving around and power is moving around, and there's more to play for. If you're playing the Game of Thrones, there's more to play for, which I think is really good. Um, the current candidates for the Iron Throne. I like to check in on mm-hmm. the actual Game of Thrones occasionally. All right. Game of um, Thrones, Game of Thrones uh, post-game analysis happening. Uh, Tommen, currently hold the throne, mm-hmm. uh, is a complete non-entity. Yeah. So in King's Landing, it's really more of a game of having influence over Tommen. Yeah. Or, I mean, and, I, I think you could say Marjorie, you know, Marjorie hooks on to Tommen and then she's the one who's, you know, using that power because yeah. he's a he's a non-entity. Marjorie's winning that one now. Mm-hmm. And I respect her for that. I think she's great. Uh, Daenerys is supposed to be a candidate for the Iron Throne, but seems completely uninterested in it right now. Mm-hmm. And and can't even hold the city-state together. Yeah. 
and then you have Stannis squabbling with Roose Bolton up north. I think that's all the kings. Is Balin Greyjoy dead? Yeah, it, it. I think he died off screen, and the 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 show seems to have decided that most of the uh, Iron Island stuff is really boring, and that they're not going to bother, which is fine with me. <laughs> no more king, no kings moot in the in the. That's fine. It's just trust me. If you haven't read the books, it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, and that that I guess those are our contenders right now. Other than the, you know, they're all the dark horse contenders of of other people, but you know. It really is about sort of at this point Daenerys and Stannis and Daener- and Daenerys, Tommen. Yeah, Daenerys, Stannis, and Tommen appear to be the actual candidates to be monarch. Mm. Of those, I have to throw my weight behind Daenerys, and I just wish she was a little more enthusiastic about coming over to Westeros well, and doing it. Well, I feel like her story arc really is that she was really obsessed with um, with Westeros, and then she realized that she wasn't actually good at leading, and now she's trying to get good at leading, and and to do that, she had to commit to not thinking about going back to Westeros, and that I think that's where we are right now with her, and then it, it's clear to me that, you know, Varys's entire mission here is to go to her and say, we need you. <laughs> right, you oh, got I, you got to come back and then and then see what happens with that. I can see that. So, uh, Meereen is kind of your double uh, A or triple A yeah. franchise. Yeah, she's, she's working. She's workshopping some material. Um, yeah, and she's getting in shape, or you know, it's the spring training or or, or the double A ball. Of she's a prize prospect. She's gonna come up to the big leagues eventually, but she's gotta she's gotta work on some stuff. She's gotta get uh, get her leadership in uh, in full flower before she. Uh, before she comes uh, across the narrow sea, I think. All right, I can get behind that. It certainly would have been better if Joffrey had had some practice actually right? being king. Right, if they put Joffrey in some sort of cr- kind of crazy eastern city-state and seen what he did, I bet he would have done not not well at all. I bet he would have washed out there, too. But maybe. Uh, uh, speaking of taking a horrible little brat and giving him some training, I want to say I think it's going to do Robin Aaron a world of good to be out in the real world getting beat up by wooden swords. Yeah, that that kid's uh life with his mom, uh you know, he's got he's got some yeah, he's got some real living to do. I, I, I feel like, I mean, they make jokes about, like, I don't know if this kid's going to be anything, but if I apply some real-world stuff to that, it's like, that kid getting out from under the thumb of his mother is going to do him a world of good. Yeah, <laughs> he I, may I, never be a great warrior or whatever, but that poor kid. Yeah, I'm very rarely optimistic about anyone's future in this world but yeah he'll get a, he'll get some he'll he's probably eating weird food and stuff up there too he'll like so he'll he'll like grow and get more more calories and he'll he'll get more exercise and and uh you know he will have relationships with other human beings that are not his crazy mother yeah he's still young enough that he uh he might turn out okay exposed to some diseases that he probably didn't get up there that'll like strengthen his immune system or something i i yeah I agree. I think that that kid, you know, he, he may always be kind of a weird kid and all that, but boy, you know, that was not healthy for him. So get yeah. out, get out, get out of the airy, get down there in the grasslands where you can fight with wooden swords, and you know, maybe he'll decide that he really wants to be a baker and he can open up a pie shop with hot pie. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's for our hot pie spinoff. <laughs> it's coming out after the show ends. Uh, the hot pie. Hot pie show will we'll, we'll go on. They can call it that, the hot pie show. Yeah. What it comes down to is just pairing characters off so you can have buddy comedies with them. I think you're right. Like Brienne getting mad at Podrick for wanting to go with her. 
Oh yeah, we didn't even mention that. So so there's there's the um the cuz I guess I guess I I skipped over uh, Littlefinger too. So so we get the uh they're riding in a coach and there's a cross with uh with Sa- with Sansa and Littlefinger in the coach and Brienne and Pod are watching them go by and and uh there's a nice line there about the good lords are dead and the rest are monsters that yeah. Brienne says, which I think is really she's at a low point too, like Tyrion is. Yeah, uh, she yeah. she she needs to be talked into staying in the series. Yeah, that's right. And I like Pod. Actually, I said it right before he did, which is, you know, she's like, get out of here. And he says, I'm a squire. I gotta, I gotta do squiring. And I, I really like that. And then she throws back like, do you even know what a squire is? I'm not an, I'm not a knight. And I, it's funny for her to say that because, you know, but everything but title, she is absolutely a knight. Oh yeah, and he is absolutely a squire, and they are a perfect, you know, perfect pair. But uh, she is despairing right now, and that's right when Littlefinger and and Sansa go by in their in their coach. You see, according to Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, both Tyrion and Brienne right now are at the beginning of their hero's journey, mm. where they are rejecting the call. Interesting. Yes, I can see that. It it is, yeah. So I mean, I, I I liked this episode too. I liked um I liked that they did gave us some reset. I like they also said you know now the story moves in interesting directions because it's kind of come unhinged from what came before. There's a lot of stuff that's in play, and like I said, I like this idea of um the theme of this episode of like what people what people believe and that the that the Game of Thrones can be played for a purpose. And I, I think under those circumstances, you look at Marjorie and say she's playing the game, but I'm not quite sure she's got a she's got a purpose other than to acquire power. But it's very clear that Varys and and Mance Raider ha- are people with um, with belief systems that they're that they are fighting for or dying for. And uh, so I thought that was a really interesting uh, comp- or uh, comparison point of comparison between the two. You're right; they both have goals that go beyond just. Amassment, amassing personal power. Right. I think that's really interesting because, you know, yeah. what's the point of playing the Game of Thrones? And Marjorie, you know, like I said, I think it's to, it's to win, to, to have the power. But um, it's interesting to hear Varys talk about a bigger picture of like, look, I want this for all the people. Like the people will be better off in my worldview with Daenerys as the as the leader of Westeros, which I, you know, we could debate whether that's true. But he, he... I think believes that and Mance believes that, you know, he's willing to die for, for, uh, treating his people as free folk who were not going to answer to a King and how important that is to him. So there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people they skipped because there are so many characters in the series at this point, but yeah. hopefully we'll see them shortly. Yeah. It looks like some of them are in the previews for next week. So, you know, we'll, we'll get some, uh, we'll get some more, some some views of Dorne and some views of some other stuff in the East uh, coming next week. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure doing this again with you, and we'll hope to hopefully loop in Brian Hamilton at some point too, whether it's with all three of us or, or you and Brian or something. We'll work it in because it was a blast uh, having him on uh, last year. And, and yeah, that wanna, was great. Want to get him back in here too. And of course, you can stay tuned to the TV podcast for those shows, those other shows that other people do. But we know you love us the best, so thank you for my assumptions of your wow. love of us. Do they know you trash talk their sequences? Well, they do now. 
No, I love I love those I love those shows, especially well, I love the Flash one. The Arrow one I can't listen to because I'm too far behind on Arrow to listen to it. But um it, it actually has been a lot of fun listening to other TV podcasts that are not the ones that I'm on and it's uh it's been they they do a great they do great stuff with those. So see, see I can't listen to the Arrow ones because I'm writing about Arrow for previously right. TV and there's only so much arrow I can take. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get that, I get that. The Flash ones though have been a lot of fun because it's a show I watch and like, and then I get to listen to the podcast, and it's a podcast I'm not on. Yes, that's, that's fun too. But there this are is podcast you're not on. Yeah, I know a few, not that many though. So that's good. All right, Monty. Well, next week we'll be back with more Game of Thrones, and uh, and until then, goodbye, everybody. Bye.